You are listening to the To and Out CFL Podcast, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. It's the John Cena of uh, bringing back to wrestling. It's the John Cena of CFL articles. There's people out there who think it's a blast like you do, and there's some people who think it's absolute garbage. Grab some poutine and a double-double. It's time for the Two and Out CFL Podcast. Now they have to kick it out, and they do! Every week, Travis Cura. Does anybody still care about this podcast? And Brazilian Tide. Hunters are people, too. Talk fantasy football, bring you the latest in CFL news, and sprinkle in a little bit of nonsense. Nonsense. Are you kidding? This is unbelievable! Ready, set, hook! And we are part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. It is just me this week. I don't know what's happening with Brazilian tie, but we'll get through this thing together. I don't know if you remember me talking about it last week. I, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I took up this burger challenge called the Bruce Banner Burger Challenge. Now, if you know who Bruce Banner is, somebody asked me who Bruce was, so don't laugh. It is the Hulk, or the guy that becomes the Hulk. So this thing is absolutely massive. It's two one-pound patties, which I think they might be heavier than one pound, but there's about a dozen tomatoes on the thing, onions, pickles. The bun is like a Big Mac, and it's pretty much a whole loaf of bread. So I almost got through that. But then the side salad, it's about an entire garden. Needless to say, you're supposed to do this thing in half an hour. I couldn't do it. And I lost. I, I think I finally met my match. <laughs> I don't know if it's my metabolism slowing down. I'm, I'm on the wrong side of 30 now. But this thing was absolutely nasty. And the reason I bring this up is because former... Calgary Stampeder, Ottawa Red Black, and BC Lion, Eric Fraser, says he's going to give this thing a shot. I think I'm going to have to try and contact him and get him on the podcast, because if you go to his Twitter, at EFraser007, he's been taking on these food challenges all over the country, and he's destroying them. He says he's going to give this Bruce Banner Burger Challenge a shot, and I can't wait to see it. I am going to be rooting for him all the way. In the huddle with Karan Tai on the Two and Out podcast. All right, it is a good day because quarterbacks and rookies have reported to camp. I love it so so much. Teams have been announcing their draft pick signing, and most of them have signed. I think it's notable to note that Saskatchewan's first-round pick, uh, receiver Justin McInnes, has signed with the team. He might be on the field in a couple weeks, so that's good for them. I don't think we've seen a signing yet from Matthew Betts in Edmonton, who has uh, some stuff going on with the Chicago Bears, or the number one overall pick, Shane Richards, with the Toronto Argonauts. As well, Montreal's head coach Mike Sherman is not at camp soon yet. He will be, though. He's undergone oral surgery and is now fighting an infection. So uh, get better soon, Mr. Mike Sherman. And staying with the Alouettes, Vincenzo Guzzo. I don't know if you've heard that name. I don't know if you watch the show Dragon's Den on CBC. <laughs> But I'm a CBC guy. I love that CanCon, and I love that show, actually. My wife and I watch it every Thursday when it's on. He's one of the new dragons on there. So he's got a pile of cash, and he runs a movie theater chains in uh, Quebec. 
and he could be the new owner of the Montreal Alouettes. It's been reported that he has deep personal ties to football and has a legit interest in owning the team. I, I've seen some rumblings on Twitter, like some of the promotions that they could come up with, uh, with the movie theater and the Alouettes, theaters and the Alouettes. I would love to see that. So if we get another stable owner in Montreal, I think we're laughing. And with the tentative CBA deal, maybe this does happen sooner rather than later. This is some cool news as well. They're doing it again. The Canadian quarterback internship program. So all nine teams are going to be having uh, some youth sports quarterbacks at camp. I know Edmonton has the Heck Crichton winner, Adam Sinegra, there. Uh, he, he goes to Calgary. He's going to be in Edmonton camp. It's going to be interesting to see how these kids do, and we're going to get to it. There's some incentive for teams uh, to bring these kids to camp now as well. I want to go to Saskatchewan because last week we <laughs> we talked to Marshall Ferguson and asked him about Hamilton's chances in the Solomon Elamimian sweepstakes. And then about two hours after the show comes out, he announces that he is signed with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. So I really like uh, this signing for the Riders. It's going to be interesting to see how they handle uh, the ratio when it comes to this signing. But when you have a chance to get a... Solomon Elamimian on your team, I think you take it. I know some people are, you know, talking about, oh, this guy's injury prone. What does he have left? At the end of the day, Elamimian is still a playmaker, and it looks like they got a pretty nice team-friendly deal here, and I think you take the shot if you can get it. They haven't had a real playmaker up the middle in that uh, rider defense for a while, and I think they might be able to make a ratio change in the secondary. Eli Buka comes back from the NFL. He did go to Calgary and has signed with the team. So if they're able to start him in the secondary, I think that kind of figures out their ratio problems a little bit. The Riders end up releasing punter Josh Bartell. We'll get to that. And running back Trey Mason. I thought he was decent, but he's not... William Powell, and William Powell is a wrecker, <laughs> and they have uh, Marcus Thigpen there as well. They ended up signing a another running back, was on the practice roster for the Oakland Raiders last year as well, so they've got some, uh, some bodies there at running back, and coinciding with the Josh Bartell release, the Riders have signed John Ryan. I remember this kid punting in some Labor Day classics for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and he would launch the ball. I, I remember going to uh, sitting with some Bomber fans, and they're chanting MVP at the punter. And I know at that time it was dark times for the Blue Bombers, but he was probably the best player on the team. He spent years in the National Football League with the Green Bay Packers and the Seattle Seahawks. And I, I just loved him coming home at the press conference. He's wearing a Humboldt Broncos t-shirt. And here he is talking about the dream, growing up, of playing for the Riders. I think it was uh, kind of a dream of mine. You know, I think growing up in Regina uh, as a seven-year-old, I wasn't dreaming of playing in the NFL or going to the Super Bowl. I was dreaming of playing for the Riders. You know, even though my career kind of went in different different direction than that uh, dream when I was seven, I think that... Um, I never really forgot about that dream, and 
coming true today. Ryan is now the highest paid punter in the Canadian Football League. It's not surprising because uh, if he wasn't, then he would have went to Toronto. He would be an Argonaut right now. So I think Ryder fans are definitely thankful for that. And I think maybe some some Ryder fans need to bite their tongue a little bit because Jeremy O'Day really got crapped on for what happened in free agency. And maybe I was a part of that, but uh, if I have to eat crow, I will eat crow. But he didn't get the quarterback that I think most wanted. He didn't get the Bo Mitchell, the Mike Riley, even the John Jennings or the Trevor Harris. He got Zach Caleros. But if you look at the long game, I think overall, Jeremy O'Day's first offseason as Saskatchewan Rough Riders general manager has been a success. And maybe it all looks different in November once the playoffs are here and they're not in it or they get eliminated early. But I think O'Day has had a pretty good first offseason as GM of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. We haven't seen them yet, but I think by the end of this week we'll be seeing new threads that the teams will be wearing from New Era. It was kind of rumored that it was going to happen yesterday, but we did not see them. Hopefully that does happen very, very soon. I I don't expect any major changes yet, obviously, other than what happened with Montreal. And the big news, the league and the players have tentatively agreed to a new deal. It still needs to get ratified by the players. It needs approval from the CFL's Board of Governors. But what a change in about 24 hours. I think it was Tuesday, the CFLPA put out kind of a notice to the players, prepared a report to camp on Sunday, and then Wednesday, we kind of get the outline of what this new deal is going to be. It looked so negative up until, you know, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, and then all of a sudden, we get the outline on this thing, and I think I think things look pretty good for the players. There's going to be some give and take, which there is in every deal, but let's kind of go through what uh, we have here in the CBA. It's a three-year deal, and what's interesting about this, the last one was five years. This one is three years. When it expires, it'll be the exact same time that the TV deal with TSN expires. And this deal has revenue sharing built into it. So that is really big. Once the next deal gets uh, negotiated with the network or networks, Ambrosi seems like a guy that thinks big. And if he's going to try and get the CFL on multiple networks or another network, you never know what's going to happen. There's money in it for the players with this revenue sharing. Uh, the salary cap is going to continue to go up $50,000 per season. That's what it has done in the old CBA, and I wonder if a little bit <laughs> some GMs are kind of worried about that right now because the Lions signed Mike Riley to a massive contract. Bo Mitchell gets signed to a massive contract as well, but the salary cap is not moving all that much. But... With that not moving all that much, minimum salaries are going to jump next season. Right now, they're around fifty-four thousand a year, jumping to sixty-five thousand dollars a season next year. Which big thumbs up there. I don't think the players are going to complain about that one. But with the salary cap hardly moving and minimum salaries jumping by ten or eleven thousand dollars, there's going to be some vets 
that are going to need to take pay cuts. And I'm going to talk about this with Josh Smith when he joins the show. But out of the American starters that teams have, three of them must have three years with their existing teams or four years in the CFL uh, overall. So there's supposed to be some job security for veterans there, especially American veterans, keeping them with one team or in the CFL. So maybe there will be some uh, pay cuts initially once things get underway, but once a veteran gets into the league for three, four years, then he's going to be needed by teams, which is good to provide those guys some security. I know a lot of people are going to love this one, and I love it. There's no change in the Canadian ratio, but Canadian quarterbacks will now count towards the ratio. So the Toronto Argonauts struck big on that one with having three Canadians on the roster there. Uh, Teams can now dress 45 players on game day as there will now be a global spot there. Uh, There's going to be a rookie salary scale starting at, I believe, $85,000 for the first overall pick, and there will be no more unpaid bonuses. So the teams are going to have to pay those bonuses out. I also want to mention that work permits for American players will be open, allowing them to seek other employment in Canada during the offseason. So big thumbs up, maybe keeping uh, players in Canada and their cities throughout the entire year, get more involved in uh, to the community. And medical coverage for up to three years for injured players. Right now that's one year up to three, I think, is huge. Now let's welcome Josh Smith to the show. He's uh, a part of the Canadian Football Podcast Network with Podsky Wee Wee, all about the Hamilton Tiger Cats, and he's a contributor at 3downnation.com. Josh, i got to ask you first thing, are you a bit bummed out you're not the new pigskin Pete? <laughs> a little bit, yeah, for sure. Um, to be fair, oh, I did throw my hat in the ring, but uh, yeah. yeah, it was one of those things where I was like, oh man, should I do this? And everyone's saying, ah, oh, yeah, do it, and then, you know, you don't get, uh, you know, you don't get the time to make the video, and then you know the, the two guys that went up for us, I thought was kind of cool, and, and yeah, it wasn't uh, just wasn't meant to be. But one day, maybe one day, I'll, I'll, I'll don the uh, the old bowler and start doing the Oscar Lewis. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think: is that one of the most CFL things ever? And I mean it in the most positive way. Is there another thing in any professional sport where a fan can apply to be a mascot, but not really? wear a costume or every, anything. I, I love that about the Ticats. I honestly, the only other thing that ever comes to mind is that Fireman Ed guy for the New York Jets. Okay, yeah. But that's, but he's not like an official mascot, you know? He's like, it's he's just in the stands, and he's just leading the cheer, and he's kind of, you know, got a following. Pigskin Pete is like, you're right. Like he's a living mascot without without a costume, but it's like he's almost more synonymous with the team. Like like if you were to ask every like CFL fans or even Ticat fans, like name the Ticats mascot, I'd probably say nine out of ten would say, "Oh, it's Pigskin." They wouldn't say like, "Oh, it's Stripes" or "It's yeah. Pigskin." It's Pigskin Pete's the mascot. It, it it is really really cool. And it's weird because growing up with it, you think that that's just the way it is, and then you you see other teams and other sports, and you're like, eh, "No one else really has this." Does what does the job entail? Like I does it like free tickets? I assume it doesn't pay. So, yeah, yeah. So he goes to every game. Um, I think he also does like personal appearances and like if the team's doing a big like I know. So years ago when they did like I, I want to say when Adidas, I can't remember when someone had. Oh, I think Reebok. Reebok redid the jerseys in like twenty 
Okay. 2013 or something. They had this big thing at like um, the mall here in Hamilton. Like Andy Fantuz was there modeling the jerseys and stuff. And like Pigskin Pete was there. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And like they did, I remember it was, oh, I I think it was 2011. uh, The Ticats won a playoff game and they were going to, they just beat Montreal and they were going to Winnipeg for the East Finals. First time Tyke has been in the East Finals since like 2001 or whatever. And they had like this pep rally at the mall. And it had all the players there, and it started with Pigskin coming out and doing the Oski Wee And then there was a thing when they were going to the Grey Cup in Regina, like he's there yeah. pumping the crowd up as all the as the fans are like in front of the offices as, as the guys are are coming out. And then he was in Regina, obviously for the Grey Cup, and they, he did the Oski Wee with Tom Hanks and Martin Short for crying out loud. Yeah. Like it's it's a like it's a pretty pretty cool gig. But yeah, he mostly like so during the games, like he like right at the beginning of the game. Everyone, they do, he comes out to center field and they do the Oski Weeby chant. And then throughout the game, he'll just travel throughout the stands and pretty much hit up every area and get the crowd doing the chant. And then he just kind of pumps up the crowd. Like he's, he's, he's the, the kind of like a combination of like a cheerleader and a mascot. Now, before we start talking about, you know, kind of on the sidelines and on the field things with the tie Cats, we, we kind of heard yesterday that uh, the league and the players reached a tentative agreement. They still got to vote on it, and I don't think the players vote until next week. Did you have a chance to scan over some of the terms in the new CBA? It kind of looks like that the players did as good as they could with revenues, you know, not really, you know, <laughs> breaking any ceilings or anything. No, like I did look at it. You know what? I'm going to bring up something because there was uh, there's a piece on Three Down, which uh, you know, plug for the website I write for. Yes, sir. Um, uh, Drew wrote a piece like outlining some of the stuff that we've learned about the the new CBA. Like it's a three year deal. Like there's not really, like you said, not really a big jump in pay, um, stuff like that. Like as uh, I think the big one that I think a lot of people are going to latch on to is Canadian quarterbacks are finally going to start counting towards the ratio that's a that's a good one but the one that caught my eye that i thought was kind of weird was it was uh some protection for veteran american players including three of seven international starters must have played three years with their current team or four years in the cfl that's a really kind of interesting new addition to like the roster rules because it's like how will that affect guys like how does this what like what's the purpose of it and i think i and again we only saw this stuff come out recently so i haven't had a chance to like think about it but that's the one when i saw that sort of i was like oh that kind of caught my eye and i'm I'm probably gonna like sit and like think about that one like before mike and i record our next show like we were gonna have an episode up pretty soon because uh we recorded on tuesday night which of course was the night before (laughs) the cba got signed which is the the podski curse as we like to call it where there's always some big news that comes out after we record so when we get a chance to sit down probably next week do an episode. I'll probably have had some chance to like germinate on the idea and like what I think about it. But that that's probably the one thing that we know for certain that's coming in this CBA that's really kind of caught my attention. Yeah, I thought that was absolutely really interesting. I, I don't know. It seems really specific to me. Like if teams are going to be entering a you know I don't know a rebuilding phase or they have injury troubles, do they have to have you know three vets? that have uh, been with the team for three years, or I guess with the CFL, four years altogether. But, I mean, they're going to like having that wrinkle in there, so there's a bit of job security uh, for those vets anyway, right? Oh, that, that's just it, too, because I think we always hear about sort of the middle-class players, yeah. the guys. Bakari Grant, I think, is a perfect example of this. Bakari Grant is a 
solid football player, played many years with the Ticats and played great. Had a great season. I think he was only with the Riders for one year. Played really well with Calgary. You know, I'm a fan of his. Uh, I've met him. Uh, I like him. Uh, him winning a great cup with Calgary last year I thought was, was great. But he's this kind of guy that maybe this rule helps out because he's one of those guys who he's really solid, but he's not elite. So he's one of those American players that when he reaches contract number two or contract number three, they kind of get phased out. Like I, I like to call him like the middle class. It's like you, you know your your star players, your like your Mitchells and your Rileys and your Brandon Bankses and your you know guys like that, Darrell Walkers, what have you. They're they're the elite of the elite. So they're all always going to have sort of their their job protection because of how talented they are. But you got guys like Bakari Grant and and those guys who I, like blue guys on the team that kind of. They're the ones that we get recycled through time and time again, but they're also the guys that tend to stay up here the longest because they're they're really, really good. They're just not good enough to play in the NFL. And that obviously, and I think you know this, no slight on any anybody to say they're good enough for the CFL but not necessarily good enough for the NFL because to play in the CFL, you have to be pretty damn good football player. You do, yeah. <laughs> but those, those are the kind of guys that I think this might help out, those guys that – maybe aren't looked at as the cream of the crop, but, but still have value and are still valuable members of the team. I think that maybe this is something that, that could keep them in the game, which is good because those are the guys that kind of get involved in the community and, and, and stay up here a long time. And I, and I think we need to keep more of those guys in the game and not push them aside for maybe a cheaper alternative who may turn into a star one day or may not. It's Josh Smith from Podsky Wee and 3downnation.com joining me this week. I want to ask you about uh, June Jones, but I do need to say thank you to Park Power for sponsoring To and Out this week. They're a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. I think more in this day and age than ever, People want to know where their money's going, and they want to make sure it's local, supporting people in their community, and that's what Park Power is all about. Because in the province of Alberta, you get to choose where you get your energy from. So use that freedom and support local people, right? Park Power has your money staying here, and I love what they do. They share a portion of their profits with local charities that are working to make a difference in their community and that's what park power is all about it's so easy to make the switch if you go to their website parkpower.ca they've got a calculator on there you can plop in what you're paying for your energy right now it'll show you how much you can save and it's super easy to switch so thank you to park power for sponsoring to and out head to the website parkpower.ca and make the switch today Josh, <laughs> I know the reason you did a show, I'm assuming, on Tuesdays because of the big June Jones news. It was announced that he has stepped down from his post as offensive coordinator with the Hamilton Tiger Cats to take a head coaching gig with Houston's XFL team. I know it's crazy. He's only been there for you know a year and a half, and it's crazy to talk about a guy that's been with an organization for 18 months. But what is June Jones's? legacy with the Thai Cats. It's funny you bring this up. Mike and I actually discussed this on the show that will be out sometime this week, hopefully. Um, it, the one thing that I always took from June Jones and like looking back on his tenure with the Cats and in the CFL, refreshingly honest is the phrase that I like to use. Like He was not a guy who played the secrecy game. Like We know in football, football coaches are inherently secretive. Think of guys like Bill Belichick, Nick Saban, uh, even Chris Jones to a certain extent. They like to keep their cards close to their vest. 
They don't like to be sort of too upfront about things. June Jones was honest about everything, too, like almost to his own detriment. Was it uh, Vernon Adams when he's like, yeah, we're yeah. going to trade him? <laughs> yep. Not only not only we're going to trade him, but we're talking to Edmonton and we're talking to Montreal, so he's probably going to go there. And then wow. like, everyone's like, what the heck? And, <laughs> but even even those things that may have hurt him, and that did because they ended up not being able to trade him, so they recruited nothing for him. They released him, and he ends up in Montreal anyway. Vernon Adams I'm talking about, obviously. Um it's still. It was still so nice to see a coach, especially on on the tales of Ken Austin, who was also one of those kind of like secretive guys, a little ornery, especially when the team was losing. June Jones was just like a fun-loving guy, and he was like, "I'll tell you what I think." Uh, like everyone always gave him, and then still does give him guff for the Johnny Menzel quote about, "I think he'd be the best player to ever play up here." But it's like, if that's how he felt, he he said how he felt, and I think whether he was right or wrong, or whether you liked it or didn't like it. I, I thought it was really, really, really refreshing to see a coach just be that open with everything. And the other thing that I think he brought to the game and to the Ticats in particular was just exciting offense. There's, I remember sitting through years and years of boring myself to tears trying to watch the Ticats play. They would score 10, 11, 12 points a game, and it's just like, man, if you're going to lose, at least excite me. And yeah. as much as, you know, you want to see your team win all the time, right? But you know that's not going to happen. I mean, unless you're Ryan Ballantyne and think that the Cowboys are going to go undefeated and win the Great Cup every year. But outside of that, like, you, you think, okay, we know they're going to lose some games. But, man, if you lose, at least you're exciting. Like, give me that. And June Jones's offenses, if you can say nothing else about them, they were exciting. They turned Jeremiah Mazzoli from a guy who was a practice roster quarterback to a legitimate star in this league. He turned Brandon Banks from a guy who was viewed strictly as a punt and kick returner and turned him into arguably one of the best receivers in the CFL today. It just, it made for exciting football. It made for football that I want to watch. And that that's those two things, the, the honesty and the exciting offense. I think that's going to be his legacy with the CFL and with the Ticats. Was he just a uh, breath of fresh air, not only to, you know, to us on the outside looking in, but also the organization itself. It seemed like the Ticats were, a powerhouse when Austin first kind of came back. They had those, you know, two great cup appearances in a row. They ended up in losses. One was a heartbreaking one to uh, Calgary in 2014. But then it seems like after the Caleros injury in 2015, things really trended downhill, especially in 2017 with uh, uh, the 0-8 start to the thing. I, I think he was always there to be a transitional guy, but uh, did he change the entire culture within that organization? It sort of feels like it. It honestly does. It's like, I hate doing this because what ifs are, like, they're fun, but at the same time, they just torture you. Yeah. Like, what, if, Zach, if Zach Caleros doesn't get hurt in 2015, yeah. and, and I know Edmonton fans and Red Blacks fans don't want to hear this, I think there's no doubt in my mind that the Ticats roll through the rest of that season, win the Grey Cup. Caleros is the unanimous MOP. Like, the way that that team was playing at the time, it's like it was the the realization of what Ken Austin tried to accomplish. And then Caleros goes down and then never really recaptures that form. He's he's still a starting quarterback in the league. He's still a guy that I have faith can can be a viable starting quarterback. I think he's a guy that can win Saskatchewan a Grey Cup. I, I really, truly believe that. And I hope the best for him because – when he was here, he's nothing but a professional. But that knee injury really kind of derailed this team, and it was, like you said, kind of all downhill from there. And then we get the 0-8 start in 2017, and then Austin steps down. 
And then June Jones takes over, and then it's just like maybe it's like the fresh set of eyes that he came with because the first two things he did when he took over was Mazzoli's my starter, and I think Brandon Banks can be a guy on offense. And like I said, those two guys are now – I mean, I know Mazzoli still has his detractors and probably will until he wins a championship, but those two guys you can argue are, if not at the top, then very close to the top of, of their positions in the league. So, yeah, I think just, just – him coming in and, and looking at things differently, I think, really allowed this team to to sort of start trending back upwards. We saw, yeah, I, I know Mike will give me grief for this when he hears the show. Yeah, they were 8-10 last year, but they got to the East Final, and they ran into a juggernaut in the Ottawa Red Blacks, who, all credit to them, and, and Trevor Harris especially, just played maybe the greatest football game I've ever seen an individual quarterback play. Like, he was unstoppable in that East Final. But they got to the East Final, and now with kind of the attrition in the East Division with Harris, as I mentioned, he's now gone over to Edmonton, and, and the Red Blacks are a little bit of a question mark. We don't know about the Owls. We don't know about the Argos. Ticats are kind of positioned as, like, the favorites in the division to reach the Grey Cup going into the season. So I think a lot of that falls on June Jones. It's it's the, the culture that he built post-Austin that has allowed for some of these players to flourish, and I think it's brought back a lot of guys. It's funny, if you look at the coaching staff now, Orlando Steinhauer was the defensive coordinator under under Ken Austin. He's now the head coach. Tommy Condell was the offensive coordinator under Ken Austin. He's now back as the offensive coordinator. And you have Jeff Reinbold, who was the special teams coordinator under Ken Austin. He's now back. So it's like Jones, for as much as he did, it's, it's almost like what's old is new again as we're getting a lot of the same guys, minus Austin, back running the franchise. So, I mean, yeah, but for sure, Jones definitely had an impact in changing sort of uh, maybe what, what became a bit of a stagnant culture here in Hamilton, and now it's kind of vibrant and exciting. And it, it, it means that this 20, 2019 season should be a lot of fun. Would you would you say that June's biggest downfall was kind of not being a CFL guy? I always respected him for, hey, I, I'm taking on this new challenge. I want to learn the game. But I always thought when he was going against, you know, the Rick Campbells of the world, that, oh, these guys grew up with the CFL game. They know how to manage the clock the way it's done in Canada. And that was maybe his biggest downfall, and he might have figured it out maybe this year or next? Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. I think we'll go back. It's, it's, it's one of the moments that I think will always stand out. As If you want to point at a detraction from Jones, I agree. It's his lack of knowledge of the game. It's the game in B.C. last year where with, what, 40-something seconds left, they punt for a single to take an eight-point lead instead of kicking a 44-yard field goal that would have ended the game. And it's the thing where you're like, oh, well, in the CFL, you can punt for a single point. That makes sense. It's, it's something that we fans are always talking about. Yeah. A, a rouge to win the Grey Cup would be the most Canadian thing ever. But at the same time, you have a field goal kicker and a 44-yard field goal in the modern era of football is not a what you would call a, a long field goal. So I think decisions like that, we saw a lot of clock management, mismanagement with him, uh, because of not really knowing how the rules are, or, or maybe he knows, but he's, he's it's he's an American coach. Came up in the American college system, coached in the NFL. You're going to go back on what you remember and and muscle yeah. memory. And his muscle memory was the American game. So yeah, there was definitely some some flaws in his coaching, some some mismanagement of the clock, and some poor decisions. Um, but all in all, I think I I think I would. I would say his tenure here was a success, and even if you don't want to say success, it's at least interesting. Were you uh, a little bit uh, 
choked at the timing of it all. It, it seems, and you did bring up uh, Steinauer and brought up Condell, and it, it did seem like the Ticats were preparing for this, just maybe not this fast. Yeah, I, at first, when as soon as I heard the news, I, I was at work at the time, and I had about 15 text messages from all the people I know going, <laughs> June Jones stepped down as, head, as, as offensive coordinator, and Condell's taken over. And at first I was like, oh, man, wow, this close to training camp? Like, that kind of sucks. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, well, wait a second. They brought Condell in, and they, I, I can't remember if he was quarterback coach or running back coach. They brought him in earlier in the offseason. It's like, they must have been planning for this. And then I don't remember where I saw it, but someone wrote about it, or someone might have tweeted it out, saying the Ticats kind of expected Jones to maybe step down after this season, and they had that's why they hired Condell, and he was the OC in waiting. So it really just kind of accelerates that plan, and while the timing of it isn't great, like this close to the start of the uh, training camp and, and the season itself, I, I don't think it's as doom and gloom, at least for myself, as I initially thought. Whereas, like, you hear about teams, like, we talked about it uh, with Jamie Elizondo leaving the Red Blacks when he did, and and it's like, well, where are they going to find an OC? And, and they really didn't. They're going to go with a committee approach. And here it's like, okay, well, they had a succession plan in place. They had a succession plan in place with Steinhauer for Jones. And I even think that was accelerated a bit much because I think when the Ticats brought Steinhauer back last year to be sort of the associate head coach, I truly believe the idea was, well, we signed June Jones to a three-year deal. Maybe he put he coaches two years out of that. Maybe then he takes the OC role, and then maybe he, you know, because he's you know he's pushing seventies. Yeah. He's a football lifer, but he probably would enjoy a little R and R. You know what I mean? I think the the opening in Toronto because I don't think anyone thought Mark Trussman was going to get fired the year after winning a Grey Cup. So I think the opening in Toronto, where Steinhardt does have some history. Uh, he likes being in Southern Ontario, so if, whether it's Hamilton or Toronto, I think he'd be comfortable in either position. I think that sort of pushed this forward. I think that sort of pushed Steinhauer to become the head coach maybe a year before he was planning on it, and I think that sort of accelerated that. So then we got Jones in uh, in the OC role, and I think he became like associate head coach or, or whatever. And I think just like he's he's been always been kind of transient. Like he's he doesn't stay anywhere for that long. I think his longest stint, I think he was with Hawaii for like ten years. But he's a Hawaiian guy. Like he lives there in the off season. That's where he likes to. That that's where that's where his life is. So that that made sense. So yeah, like it it did feel it, it does feel a year too early. But at the same time, I don't think it's necessarily it, it's not the end of the world that that. They've, they've made this change now. It, it's it's going to be a transition. It's going to be difficult a little bit, I think, for the team. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's it's an offensive coordinator that, that knows how to coach. It's a head coach that knows how to coach. I don't think it's going to be all of the, it. It's going to be different philosophies, but I don't think everything's going to be like, – it, it's not a situation where, like, you really, really have to worry. I, I think the Ticats probably deserve some props because of that succession plan – that you mentioned we kind of saw what happened in Regina when Chris Jones leaves and Craig Dickinson comes in to be the head coach and Jason Shivers comes in to be the defensive coordinator maybe those guys were going to get to that position eventually but I think they were basically forced into hiring from within because of the coaches cap that the league put in last year but with the Ticats it just feels natural yeah, I would agree. It does feel a little more natural than in in Regina because I think Jones leaving caught everyone by surprise. Like 
I'm talking about Chris Jones, obviously. Yeah. Too, many Joneses, too many Joneses to talk about. I, I really do feel like that caught a lot of people by surprise. I know there were some rumblings prior to that he had an NFL interest and he was maybe looking at that, but they signed him to like an extension, and then like a week later he's gone. And, uh, yeah, I, I see like, – I, I don't think the Riders are in a terrible position. I think Craig Dickinson – is going to, he's a great special teams coordinator, so I think he, he's got the he, – and he's a different coach from Jones, too. So it's like yeah. that will be a breath of fresh air. And uh, and with, with Jason Shivers, I think I think he's one of those guys that was always kind of groomed to be in the position he's in. And I think as sooner or later, like you said, he would have gotten there. It does seem a bit a bit early. But, hey, just like with players, the best way to, to prepare is to actually, you know, go into the fire and try to do it. So whether it's a year or two too soon – He's going to get a chance to to do it, and I I think that's a good thing. But I I do agree with you. It does feel a little more easy with the Thai Cats, where it just it makes if you were told someone, okay, Chris Jones is leaving, what's the succession plan in Regina? People might have been going, oh, I don't know if there is one. You'd say that here, okay, June Jones steps down as head coach, then leaves the team. What's the succession plan in Hamilton? I think everyone would have gone, well, Steinhauer takes over, and oh, they brought Kondel Beckwell, like just slide him into the OC role. Like it, it just, like you said, it makes sense. Uh, let's talk about Tommy Condell a little bit because he was there when uh, they were in the Grey Cups in 2013 and 2014. And when, I mean, <laughs> I know Burris is happy that uh, Kalaros ended up getting hurt in 15, but they looked like juggernauts. And Tommy Condell was there. He ends up leaving. He said, I, I think it was for family reasons, but. Honestly, to me, it kind of seems like he just butted heads with Kent Austin and wanted to get out of there. So he comes back into the league with Toronto, returns to Hamilton, and now he's back with a marquee role as the offensive coordinator. Mazzoli's a bit of a different quarterback. Well, a lot of a different quarterback than Zach Caleros. Can you expect some of that same success from five years ago? So... Like I, like I said earlier, when I first heard the news, I was like, okay, what does this mean? And one of the things I was wondering was, okay, can Mazzoli operate in this, in this Condell offense? And, and I usually will say the Condell Austin offense because their, their philosophies, the reason they right. worked together for so long in Hamilton, I believe they were together in Saskatchewan the year Austin was there. They worked together when Ken Austin was head coach at Cornell. So they've, they've, they've been together for a very long time. And I do agree with you. I think it was just a divorce where two guys knew each other so well that they just, they just started butting heads, and then, and then one of them had to go. And you know, the offensive coordinator is going to go over the head coach and the guy who runs everything in football. So it made sense that Condell kind of you know went his separate ways. But I look, I look at that, and I remember back to Mazzoli's played in the offense. Mazzoli played six games under Austin in 2016 when Claros was out with a knee injury and played fairly well. And he actually played under Condell in the playoffs in 2015 and. Go back and look at the numbers from the 2015 East Final where, you know, the miracle on Bank Street happened that, that ended the Ticats' run of Grey Cup appearances. Jeremiah Mazzoli's numbers were better than Henry Burris's. Like, Jeremiah Mazzoli beat out Henry Burris in that. Like, he outplayed Henry Burris in that game. His numbers were phenomenal. It was sort of the start of going, okay, maybe Mazzoli can be something. After a couple of years of wondering if he'd ever kind of mature into a starting caliber quarterback, his numbers were great in that game, and the Ticats were a dropped interception away from potentially winning that game and getting back to the Grey Cup with Mazzoli as a starter. So I know it's a really small sample size, but I also think over the last couple of years, we've seen Mazzoli mature into into just a better quarterback, period. So 
we look at that, and I think Condell's a smart guy. I think Mazzoli's a smart guy. I think they'll make it work. I don't think the numbers will be as flashy as they were last year under June Jones because I just think June Jones, is the, he's an offensive genius. I, I don't hesitate to say that in one bit. So while I think it'll still be some exciting football, it'll be a different brand of football, but I, I think Mazzoli can operate in Condell's offense and still put up some pretty decent numbers and, more importantly, hopefully get this team some wins. It's going to be kind of going to be a new look team uh, once they hit the field later this month or next month. Uh, Alex Green has been released. Justin Capicotti has been let go, and we just heard Jalen Saunders has been let go as well. Do you think that one is injury related, or maybe a new philosophy on offense with uh, maybe letting go a uh, another smaller receiver? Because you know the Ticats have a lot of those. They do, and I do think it's more philosophical than it is i've seen people ask about cap reasons and the injury reasons but they signed him to an extension like he was a free agent this year and they signed him to a new contract it was either in late december or early january i can't remember exactly when it was knowing he was hurt so they they definitely had plans to let him rehab and come back probably around labor day because that's when he got hurt last year and it usually takes about nine to twelve months for someone to come back from an acl tear so they were committed to that when Jones was here. And then you see sort of the change in philosophy offensively. And Jones liked his fast, small receivers, where I think Condell is more of someone who likes complementary receivers. We're still going to have the speed guy in Brandon Banks and even in Braylon Addison. you got your possession guy, your middle guy with, with Luke Tasker. And I think they're going to try to find sort of a big-bodied receiver. If you remember some of the Austin teams, they had guys like Bakari Grant, guys like Terrence Tolliver, who put up some big numbers in these offenses as sort of the the six foot four, six foot five, go up and get it type receivers. Maybe don't blow you away with speed, but they can go and grab anything because of how big they are. And I, I think that Saunders release probably speaks more to a change in what they want to do on offense or the personnel they want to use than it does to any sort of cap reasons or, or injury reasons. At least at least as of now. We might find out news otherwise later on and if we do it's probably coming from my my main man Justin Dunk, but We'll have to wait and see. But as, as, as I sit here now, I think it probably has more to do with them going in a different direction with one of their starting receiver positions. Rookie camps or rookies and quarterbacks have uh, reported to camp. The rest of the team is going to be there on Sunday. Uh, the Ticats kind of took a hit to the linebacking core with Don Unamba and Larry Dean going to Edmonton. What are some names we should be watching in Hamilton as camps get underway, both on okay. offense and defense? So I think on offense, a guy that we, we should all be paying attention to, if he signs, and I think he will, uh, is, is one of the rookies, is Malik Irons. I think he is a guy that I, I watched a little bit of Ohio football last year, knowing that uh, Nathan Rourke and Irons were two Canadian kids playing for the team. I watched their bowl game, and both those guys looked excellent. Uh, and, and watching some other games throughout the year, I, I noticed Irons is, is a very powerful runner. He's a guy that could really sort of intrigue people. Uh, Braylon Addison is a guy who came on late last year when Saunders and Banks, Brandon Banks got injured, put up a couple hundred yard games, looked like he could be the next big star for the Ticats on offense. So I, I'm really curious to see him defensively. Uh, I think it's, we'll, we'll touch on the linebackers mostly because that's where I think there's going to be some new faces there, obviously with, as you said, Dean and Unamba heading over to Edmonton. Uh, Rico Murray has been brought back from a couple years away and two great cup appearances with the Argos and Red Blacks last two years. So I think he's a guy that, that could be in position to replace Unamba. And middle linebacker is going to be really interesting. The Ticats have done a great job 
over the last decade or so of finding middle linebackers. Everyone loves Larry Dean, but before Larry Dean, everyone loved Taylor Reed. And before Taylor Reed, it was Jamal Johnson. And before Jamal Johnson, it was Ray Williams. And I could go on and on and on. The Ticats have not had a hard time finding some guys to play linebacker. So there's there's a couple players. Uh, they signed Justin Tuggle away from the Argos. He's a guy that I think will probably get first crack at uh, starting in the middle for the for the defense. But two names that I, I think fans and, and, and people around the league should keep an eye on. Lucas Waka is a guy who's played here for, I believe, two seasons. And he has kind of just been a special teams guy, but he can play ball. He's had some snaps on defense, and he can play. And Chris Frey, uh, Michigan State linebacker, is another guy that I think really needs to you need to keep your eye on because those two guys, as much as Tuggle probably has the first crack at the job, those are two guys that could really push him to make that a battle. And these guys could be people that, you know, this happens every year in the CFL. There's guys whose names we never heard of before that turn out to be stars. Those are two guys that I w- would not surprise me if they got significant minutes on defense and had a chance to really contribute. So if you want some under-the-radar guys, two two guys that can play linebacker, Walker and Frey are, are guys I would keep an eye on. All right, Josh, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. Where can uh, we find some more of your stuff? I know uh, you can talk about the piece you did on 3Down as well. Uh, I, I love how you relate pop culture to CFL. I don't know if I see anybody else doing that, so keep that up too. Oh, I will always do that as much as I can. It's it's. I find it fun. Every time I pitch it to either Drew or Justin, they get a kick out of it. They really, really support me in doing those things. You know, some people hate it. It's the John Cena of uh, <laughs> wrestling. It's the John Cena of CFL articles. There's people out there who think it's a blast like you do, and there's some people who think it's absolute garbage. And it's all fine. I have a blast doing it. So they're, they're going to keep coming. But you can find anything I write, mostly about Ticats, but also about a bunch of other things, on, on 3 Down Nation at 3downnation.com. The podcast, Podski Wee Wee, we host on there. We, me and Mike, we're, we're gearing up to do get back to the grind, man. It's going to be an every week thing in the not too distant future. And uh, you can find that on 3Down. You can find me on Twitter if you want to interact with me, Josh Smith underscore 82. The podcast at Podski Wee Wee, has, we have our own uh, Twitter account there. We have our own Instagram account at Podski Wee Wee. So if, if it's on social media, unless there's one I don't know about, you can find me on there and just talking football, talking movies, talking wrestling, talking it all. I just love talking. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Josh. Hey, thanks for helping me out this week. Anytime, Trav. Can't wait to see you again at Great Cup. Thanks again to Josh for coming on the podcast to talk about the Cats. I'm Travis Curra, and Two and Out is a part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB, and the Alberta Podcast Network is partnered with Seat Giant. So if you need tickets for anything, sporting events, concerts, popular theater throughout North America, anything you need, head to SeatGiant.ca. Now, here's the cool thing about Seat Giant. Uh, all of the uh, prices are in Canadian dollars. I've, I assume if you're anything like me, you've, you've gone to a website, it's in American dollars, you're trying to do the math in your head, it goes on your credit card, you did the math all wrong, you're paying a lot of cash, but right here, it is right in Canadian dollars. You know what is going to happen. And now that the CFL deal is tentatively reached, we're going to have some CFL games to go to. I know a lot of fans like to do road trips all across Canada, so use this code. APN, three letters, 
APN. When you're checking out on SeatGiant.ca, you're going to save 5% on your purchase, and you're going to support the Alberta Podcast Network all at the same time. Grab your tickets for anything at SeatGiant.ca and use the promo code APN. We will be back next week. Teams will be, man, a few days into training camp, and we're only, let's see here, about eight, ten days away from actually preseason games. Hallelujah. Have yourself a good week. Ty will be back next week talking CFL football with you. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.